All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's the One Health Podcast. I'm your host, Tori Schmelzer. I am a fitness entrepreneur slash fitness enthusiast. My goal each week is to share the knowledge I gather through meeting industry experts with as many people as I can. For those of you who are new to the show, each week we're going to bring on different experts in areas of health. So that could be mental health, physical health, professional health, and spiritual health. Uh, We don't claim to be experts in any of these subjects. We just know the people who are, and we interview them for the greater good. I want to give a special thanks. Um, as we get closer to 2019 here, it's been a huge year for this podcast. We launched back in, I believe it was June, and we are already over a thousand subscribers, which was awesome. I checked the numbers the other day and saw that, and that was just really cool to see. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of time put into this, a lot of effort getting this together. When uh, when we first started, we really had no idea what we were doing we just kind of uh winged it and figured it out as we went but i i want to thank everyone who has taken the time to get on itunes and leave a review anyone who has uh, gone over to our youtube channel and given us a like on one of our videos watched it and just anyone who's taken time uh to learn and to grow we really appreciate it and that really is our mission here so as we move into 2019 It's our hope we can keep bringing you episodes each week. Um, Sometimes it's been a struggle, but um, we're trying to do this thing while we juggle business at the same time. And I'm just really excited about the direction that this is going and the feedback. So I want to thank every single one of you guys. And um, to our sponsors, uh, Eco Gym, they have been instrumental in us launching this podcast this year. Make sure you guys hop on, go to ecogymworldwide.com. These guys are being opening up clubs all around the country this next year. Uh, if you guys are interested in franchising, shoot them a message. Um, but now they are offering a revolutionary group fitness class called Surge. That's going to change the way you guys think about group fitness. Uh, they're now offering red light therapy, hyperbaric therapy, personal training, and are soon going to be adding a wellness component with spa services and even do a little bit of hormone replacement therapy. And we might even do an episode with a doctor about that too. So those guys are doing everything. Make sure you go to ecogymworldwide.com and check them out. Today on the show, we have a amazing individual joining us. We have personal trainer to the stars, Mr. Dylan Brown. <laughs> Dylan, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Dylan has been in the fitness industry for many years as a trainer, as a gym operator, and holds a certification from AFAA. Um, Dylan specializes in working with individuals looking to build strength and specifically those using fitness to help treat diabetes. Uh, For those that don't know, I've actually known Dylan for quite some time now. Um, He works at one of our locations here in Glenview. And I was trying to think the other day of who else I wanted to have on. And Dylan and I have talked for a long time about his specialty, which is specifically strength training and how that relates to diabetes and stuff like that. Um, So specifically, Dylan, as far as strength goes, what made you interested in that form of the fitness industry versus like all the other types of training? Um, Well, I guess, do you mean for my own training or for how I like to approach working with clients? Yeah, so like first you, like specifically your personal Um. I think a lot of it just comes back to childhood. Like, I was always a bigger kid. And so I started off 
being able to do more in the gym than some of my friends could. And then so you just kind of feed off of that and keep going. And I always just got excited about heavier weights being moved. Um, over time, I started following like pro strongman circuit, all those guys and watching those competitions and getting more deeply educated about it and involved, I guess you could say. Um, from a fan standpoint, um, I, I kind of think of like those elite top level strongmen as the closest thing you can get to in real life as a superhero. Because on a daily basis, they're doing things that no one else in the rest of the world is physically capable of doing. To me, that's really exciting and really cool. I totally respect the other forms of exercise and, and weightlifting or whether it be bodybuilding or whatever. But what gets me personally excited is seeing something that's never been done. Gotcha. So you got diagnosed with diabetes what age were you when you like found that out I was a freshman in high school so I wrestled since fifth grade okay and then when I was a freshman in high school after the season ended I kept eating stopped working out and lost 30 pounds in a month and so it was pretty clear like something's going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know wow. <laughs> Like, I, it was frustrating because I never felt sick, you know? I was like, I feel good. I'm just losing weight. Who cares? Like, yeah. when's that ever been a bad thing, right? But at the end of the day, like, objectively looking at that, something was clearly wrong. And so we went to the doctor. Like, my mom took me. And basically after I peed in a cup, he's like, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And so I spent the next five days in the hospital getting first diagnosed and then all this blood work and then just the education process of how to then manage the diabetes because from that point moving forward I was taking six to eight shots a day so there's Jeez. a lot of a, there's a lot of teaching that the nursing staff at the hospital had to do in terms of properly making sure you're getting the right dose and there's not a bunch of like air bubbles not that not that the air bubble is the dangerous part because you're not shooting the insulin into your vein mm -hmm. You know, so it's not like that, like getting a blood, the air bubble in your bloodstream is going to kill. It's not that. It's just if there's an air bubble in the syringe, you're not getting that insulin that you think you're supposed to be getting. Then your blood sugar gets all messed up. So there's that that process of learning how to just physically take the medicine takes a few days. Got it. So that, were they educating you on... Um on, on your food intake, too, on carbohydrates and stuff like that? Was that um, part of the process? Not not at first, to be honest. And, and I'm not sure. You know, some people may think it wasn't the best route for them to encourage. But what, while I was in the hospital, they actually um, they deliberately made sure that for each meal, I had some version of junk food whether it be dessert or whatever. They were trying to prove the point that as long as I was doing the right calculations and taking the right amount of insulin, I could technically eat what I normally ate still. Okay. Down the line later is when I started to do my own learning, working with other educators outside of the hospital to learn how to better manage that and just not just get through the day but feel good about it. 
Got it. But initially it was more like they wanted me to know like, hey, yes, your life's different from this day forward, but it doesn't have to necessarily suck. Got it. So when you, so there's two different types of diabetes and I know there's some out there that are educated on this, but for those who aren't, there's type one and there's type two. Correct. What are the main, what are the main differences between the two? So I guess I should back up just a a moment because they're, they're now learning that there are more kind of like subsections within that type one frame. Oh, okay. For example, you, the main gist between type one and type two is in simplest terms, type two, you're still producing some insulin. It's just not doing what it needs to do for you, whether it be, it's not working at all, or it's just not taking enough effect to help you break down and use the carbohydrates and sugars that you're taking into your body. Type one, you can either be producing insulin, but the antibodies in your blood are basically killing it off before it can take any effect because it's basically acting as an immune disease, thinking that that's a foreign substance that shouldn't be there and it takes care of it. Or you can have simply just no production of insulin at all, just a complete pancreas shutdown. There are a very few select individuals that have a specific gene, I don't know what it's called or anything, I'm not a doctor, but I was part of a research program at UIC to determine, hopefully, I was, I was hoping to see that I was part of this group, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. But there are a, a, a handful of people that they've found that have been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and they fall into that group with just no production, but they have a specific gene that for some reason this one pill, medicine, medication that they have, basically just jump starts your pancreas. And so those, like just few people, they actually are now living their life as if they never had diabetes. Hmm. Awesome for them. I want, I just, we need to see the research continue to see what other things we can find to make work. Because as of right now, if you, if you're on top of it, the diabetes really isn't that hard to manage and control with, with the technologies and the medicines and and all the information available to us today it's really not that hard it'd be nice to then okay let's move forward instead of finding more options of for management let's start finding more things like that to just end it yeah because i'm I'm sure it exists we just don't know what it is yet and that's fine we just have to prioritize where our time and resources and brilliant scientists are spending their energy instead of you know i i wear an insulin pump all day it makes things so 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 much easier well now that we've got that locked down it's a great product makes everything so much easier Mm -hmm. i just think it's like let's not worry about like what's what's the next version of the pump let's just devote those time those resources towards something else yeah you know so that's type one. And then type two is you can manage potentially without insulin, with just diet and exercise. And you there is the potential to reverse diagnosis. You can get rid of it. So type two. It's very hard. Correct me if I'm wrong here. 
is that more uh, a less of a genetic predisposition and it's more of a um, your diet was absolutely terrible for the past 15, 20 years and now you have adult onset diabetes. Is that more what it is kind of? Yes and no. I mean, there are other contributing factors, okay. but, but when looking at like which one is avoidable, which one isn't, yes. You know, okay. type one, if you get it, there was nothing you could do to avoid getting it. Yeah. Type two, in many scenarios, like you're describing, yes, your lifestyle choices, whether it be food or lack of exercise or whatever it may be, your lifestyle choices are a, a big contributing factor towards getting it or not. But that's not to say that it's 100% avoidable in every case. Okay. You know, for example, pregnant women can get uh, basically temporary diabetes just during pregnancy and then it'll go away. You know, that's not because they're, they have horrible diet and bad exercise. It's just sometimes that it just happens. And I'm not a doctor, right? I don't know the exact the details and the minutiae yeah, of all that. Yeah. But... I do know that it's not just a fatty disease, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, there, gotcha. are, there yeah. are in shape people that do have type two diabetes and it's just insulin sensitivity. So, you know, it's not just, you can't make a blanket statement about that, but generally speaking, yes. Okay. So you have, um, yourself personally. Now I want to talk about A1Cs a little bit. Okay. Okay. What are A1Cs and why? Is it important for someone with diabetes to kind of monitor those? So, simplest way to put it, A1C, your hemoglobin A1C, it's it's basically, it's a blood test. It's a way to determine basically sugar content in your blood. In layman's terms, what percentage of your blood is sugar, right? Got it. Once you hit beyond a certain point, when I believe the, the the barrier is like if you've got a A1C of above 6.5, that's pretty much how they determine you've got diabetes, okay. right? And then there's there's ranges of okay, are you controlled diabetic or uncontrolled diabetic? And so they want you if you for me like I've got type one diabetes again, you know, my doctor wants me as close to that 6.5 mark as I can get. Okay. I'm hovering around 6.6. I'd usually do this test every three months. Um, but like, I definitely didn't start off there, you know, like if I was at 6.6, they wouldn't have rushed me to the hospital right away. It'd yeah. be like, Hey man, just, let's just try to get this under control. When I got diagnosed, I was over 13. Wow. So, you know, it, it, you have to actively try to get that better, but it's totally doable. Um, having an out of control or an overly high A1C is a good indication that at some point down the line something's going to go wrong because your body is not supposed to operate like that. Got it. You know, there's normal levels of sugar for our bodies to be operating with, and that's good. So like a normal person like me who doesn't have diabetes, am I floating somewhere between like one and six, somewhere in that range? Probably between like four and six, four and six and a half, somewhere okay. between there. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. What is, so danger levels, anything over, like, what, seven, eight? Um, that, that's tough to say. Um, I, like, when your A1Cs are out of whack, 
Do you get like nauseous or anything like that? Or so like, the A one C, it's more of a, a a slow gradual change, right? Okay. I think what you what you're talking about more is like when I go and just do my finger prick blood test. Like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. On my yep. own, that's more just my blood glucose levels right now. Okay. Okay. When that gets out of whack, whether it be too high or too low, I get very sick feeling. Okay. Okay. The A one C. Personally, I don't associate much of a difference in feeling because, because again, it's a it's a long term, more gradual thing that you're testing. So, like maybe after I like, if I were to go in three months from now and get a, a test and find out that it was like back to ten somehow, looking back, I may notice, like yeah, well, the last three months have kind of felt like crap, but that hasn't happened since I since I got it. It's always okay. gotten better and stayed better. So I couldn't really answer that yes or no. Okay. But when it comes to like too high of a blood glucose reading in my meter when I go test like before lunch or something, that, yes, if it's too high, I'll start like throwing up. If it's too low, I feel like I'm going to like pass out and die. Like my fe- the feelings that I personally get are pretty, pretty extreme, right? I have a, a former boss who was type 2, and he'll, he would tell you, to your face like he's terrible at managing it his normal blood glucose reading was in the 300 range the moment i get in the 200 range after i eat i feel like i'm about to puke wow but that's because i'm normally really in good control and i'm where i'm supposed to be his normal is there so for him to get into normal ranges, at first he would feel like he's about to die because it's it would feel low. Okay, okay. Like when I told you when I got diagnosed, I never felt sick. The first time I felt sick, like I was like something was seriously wrong, was ten minutes after my first dose of insulin, because that's what brought me down into normal range. Hmm. So whether it's good or bad, if your body becomes accustomed to one thing, the moment it changes, even if it's to bring you to a good level. It's a shock to the system. And when, when you have this disease of diabetes, any shock to the system will physically take a lot out of you. Gotcha. You'll feel pretty beat up. So that's why it's important to make sure you're on top of it all the time. You know, it's not something you check in on sometimes. You know, I have, I have one client who we're, we're, I'm working with her. She's got type 2. And we're testing her sugar two or three times every workout. Like just during like during the during workout. the workout because my style of training is at a pretty high intensity we have to know are you feeling the way you're feeling because you're just exhausted because I did this to you or is your blood sugar dropping and we have to address that because I'm not trying to have to call an ambulance because you slip into unconsciousness <laughs> Do you know you... like these are serious things that we have to make sure we don't cross that line so so you can still if you have diabetes you can still do these intense workouts it's just a little bit more monitoring and planning then in my opinion is 100 percent necessary to be doing it uh with my a1c readings when i graduated high school i decided to hire a powerlifting coach just because i had specific goals in mind that i wanted help with and i knew this i knew a guy from back in childhood that I knew had become a competitive lifter. He became a trainer and I knew the place he trained at was fairly close to my home. So I hired him from that summer forward for the next year. When I did my 
A1C test every three months, I was able to d draw a direct correlation between the intensity of my strength training and the level at which my A1C test came back. The more intensely I took my strength training, the lower my A1C got. If I got lazy for three months or a month or two, it was reflected in my next A1C test and it went back up a little bit. Not, dr not dramatically, but you can see it go up. And so when you ask, like, sh can they do that? I'll tell you, like, that's this one thing they should be doing specifically, you know. Every doctor always says diet and exercise. Like, duh. You know, whether you have diabetes or not, you should watch what you eat and be exercising. Like, that's, that's a given. Like, I don't need to go to the doctor to hear that. But what I've learned both with my personal experience and through working with people as, a, as my profession, the most efficient way to remove sh sugar from my body is to lift something heavy. The, the fuel source my muscles use to activate is sugar. So the more I stimulate those muscles, the more sugar I'm getting out and it's not sitting there ruining my health. What number, so specifically, what results have you seen personally and then with your clients that you're working with? Like from an A1C perspective, they took okay. it from like here to here. So like I said, when I got diagnosed, my, my sugar was as high as, I believe it was 13.3%. Okay. That was my A1C. Now, again, it, that was freshman year of high school, and then I still I kept wrestling throughout the rest of high school, so it wasn't just a, a straight jump to the powerlifting, right? So I was starting to make slower uh, progress with that A1C reading in the meantime, but once I start taking those, those steps in the, the picking up heavy weights, and that's my main focus, that was when it started being more dramatic, Okay, so I'd, I'd say it was probably in that 11.5 range when I really started taking it seriously, and then it came down to that 6.665 range, okay? That's me. One of my clients that I've been working with, she, we started working together about three and a half months ago. When she started with me, her A1C was at 12.7. Uh, three weeks ago, she got another test, it was at 7.2. So we're still not where we quite want to be yet. We want to get it down to that 6.5 mm -hmm. or lower because she's type 2. My goal is to get her a reversal of diagnosis over time. You know, that's, that's, that's a more long-term goal. So she's trending in that direction. But she's right trending now. in that direction. Not only okay. has the A1C dropped that much, but her, her base dose of insulin that she was taking for every meal, her doctor decreased that by 60% already. Wow. So in in less than four months, she's dropped from 12.7 to 7.2 A1C, and her insulin dosage has dropped 60% on base rate. So her doctor's goal is that by the end of January, early February, she's on no more base insulin and just has one weekly injection. That is fantastic. My goal is by mid-next year, she's on no medication. And then hopefully by the following year, she's get a reversal of diagnosis. To me, like, yeah, seeing heavy weights lifted is, like, exciting personally. But just using it as a tool to change this woman's life moving forward 
is much more exciting. That's you know, huge. I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but at the end of the day, doing things like that, her, her chances of going blind at some point have significantly just decreased. Yeah. Her chances of losing a foot at some point have significantly just decreased. I'm sure you've, so you're it, saving her hundreds of dollars a month in insulin, right? I'm sure. Close I'm that. sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, I know how much mine costs, but we don't take the same product, so yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. exact. But I'm sure it's fairly yeah. significant. Um, but just from the standpoint of not needing to worry about it as much, you know, she's got one of these great glucose monitors where it, there's like a, a color screen on it. And it graphs her glucose readings, her, her blood sugar readings. And it has like a dark bar that that's where like the normal zone where you want to be in. Okay. And then it's like a line graph and it'll show you when you peak out of it or dip below it. In the last two weeks, she's been just right in that bar, not leaving it. That's awesome. Now, again, this is in the grand scheme of things. This time frame is pretty small, Right. So there is always that chance that the the significant change to her lifestyle is what's making it such a dramatic thing and this this fast rate of progress will slow down and we're we're going into this understanding that and accepting that but that doesn't mean we're not going to try right I think that's huge cuz even in even when you train somebody for weight loss too what do you see? I mean, you see the first that uh, right away, the mm-hmm. first two months, it's a dramatic it's change. Boom, boom. And yeah. And, and then, then eventually then it it'll start down. slowing down, but we're not stopping. Yeah. As long as you're going to keep going on the progress, if it's slowing down, usually what that means is what you're doing is not too dramatic. And what that means is, like, it in turn means it, it's more sustainable. So slowing down isn't a bad thing as long as you're not stopping and plateauing. Mm -hmm. Because you're stopping and plateauing, that means probably like you stop doing something. Whether it be taking the nutritional planning as seriously or the intensity of the workouts aren't as as intense or as frequent or whatever it may be. Those are usually the indications from plateauing. But as long as you're still making the progress... Slowing down is cool because we're playing the long game when it comes to diabetes management. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. But we'd still like to finish the marathon as soon as we can. (laughs) You know? Like, there's nothing wrong with getting it over with and just being good. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to get frustrated by it taking a while. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. And just like I said before, it's, it's tough to... You know, people have initial progress when they work with a trainer, and sometimes you got to kind of manage their expectations a little bit Mm -hmm. right from the Mm get-go. So I think a lot of people out there who have diabetes, who are getting into exercise, need to hear that. Yep. And and one thing I will say is if, if that's you listening, if you're starting in a situation where your blood sugar is very out of control... That first month or so, focus on blood sugar control. Don't worry yet about the weight loss. Get your sugar under control first so that your body's actually utilizing the nutrition you put into it. 
If you're still all out of whack and your blood sugar's skyrocketing constantly and you're just hovering in those ridiculous levels, your body's not utilizing what you're putting into it correctly anyways. So first get that under control because that's more of an indication of your long-term health as a diabetic. Once that gets under control, the actual weight loss is going to be much easier. Because if you're having really high blood sugars, one, your energy levels are going to be all messed up. But then you're probably also going to be getting fast drops in valleys of blood sugar, too, during the workouts. If it's that, that out of whack, those drops are going to force you to have to have something carbohydrate and sugar-based, which is counterintuitive to weight loss. We don't want to keep having sugary things if you're trying to lose weight. <laughs> exactly. But at the end of the day, if your blood sugar's diving in the middle of a workout you're gonna need some juice mm -hmm. you know that that was one thing i was going to ask you too is about uh nutrition so what are some things that okay i have diabetes i'm gonna go i'm gonna start working out what are some foods i should be eating let's say you know like a half hour before i'm gonna go work out that i would say some complex carb of some sort, whether it be a, 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 a sweet potato or some oats, some, some more long-term burning carb, okay? okay? But always be keeping a fast carb with you, whether it be some fruit or a Gatorade or some orange juice. My preference is juice. That is the fastest way to get that sugar into you when you're having a low, okay? okay? When it comes to the diabetes... In, in terms of what's worse, high or low, that low blood sugar is going to do more damage. So if you start feeling that, well, one, that's the one that you, when people talk about slipping into a diabetic coma, that's usually from too low. Okay. Usually. Okay. So we really want to make sure you avoid those. Okay. I prefer juice. It is the fastest way to get my sugar back up. Okay. Um, but it, it's really it, what I learned since freshman year of high school because, again, I was a wrestler. Uh, I raced motocross. I just learned over time. I just always have to have stuff with me, always, whether it be a, a banana, a just keep an actual sweet potato with me at work, a bottle of orange juice in the fridge at work. It's just, it just might not get used all week. But I need to have it there just in case because if I don't have it, even if it doesn't get my sugar doesn't get that low and just gets a little low, you don't want to be around me. Like you, I, you, you do get moody and yeah. irritable, and like it just you don't want to be like that. It feels like crap. You get all shaky and clammy, and you're not pleasant to be around. Even if it doesn't get to that dangerous level, it's still miserable. So just the moment you feel something, take your sugar and address it, whether it's high or low. That's really what people need to be doing more. Most of the diabetic people that I have interacted with, whether type 2 or type 1, aren't testing often enough. They're not testing their sugar enough. They're just assuming they're good, right? You don't know. If, you, if you're out of control and you don't have, you, you're not considered an in-control diabetic, Odds are your body's not quite in tune and with 
what certain blood sugar levels feel like. Yeah. Right? Again, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty in tune with what's going on. So the moment my blood sugar starts approaching that low level, I feel it, test, and I can catch that before it ever enters into that low zone. So I stay in the good place. Got it. So it takes it just takes a little bit of planning before your workout. Mm-hmm. Have those items with Preparation. you. So you check before and then you check during sometimes. And now Definitely after, after. Now after, that was my next question. After, what are some things? Uh, I, well, I guess it depends on where your level's at then, right? Depends on where your level's at. It depends on also what your fitness goal is. Okay. You know, um, like personally, I care about getting bigger, lifting heavier weights. So I'm going to just have an entire, like a full meal after my workout. Usually a bunch of rice, some veggies, and some meat, whether it be ground turkey, ground beef, steaks, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're like trying to lose weight, I probably wouldn't recommend having that entire meal following your workout. I still would recommend making sure you have a little bit of carb with you because over time when your body starts calming down and you regain control of your heart rate and everything and over and you start settling down and get back into at rest situation, you might experience a subtle drop, but it, it, it shouldn't be too extreme unless you're doing something high stress, I guess would be the best way to put it. Like for example, when I was racing motocross, the the high anxiety high stress environment of being on the starting line and being in such a dangerous setting that stress level would automatically make my blood sugar go up it would spike it at first when i noticed that i would then take the necessary insulin to correct that and then what would happen is by the time i got home from the track two hours after you leave because everything's far away, my blood sugar would be so low that it was scary. Hmm. Like my dad would look at me and be like, something is wrong, you know? Over time, what I learned is just in that type of environment, whether it be the adrenaline rush or the high, whatever, whatever the specific indicators might have been, that environment made my blood sugar spike. Over time, what I realized is I shouldn't have taken that correction of insulin. It'll come down on its own. Got it. Why and how that happens, I don't know the details behind that. Do you think... I just know it worked. Do you think that other people could experience that? Let's just say they like work in a super stressful work environment. Do you think they could stress, experience the stre- same thing? Stress can absolutely influence your blood sugar control. Hmm. It might not be the exact same thing in me. Like For me, it was almost... Always, it's going up. Some people, it might be down. It might be random, both. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I know for certain, those high stress levels and, and feeling anxious can absolutely influence how your body's controlling itself in terms of your sugar. I'd like to be able to talk to an endocrinologist in more detail about why that is. And how it self-corrects itself. Because if it can self... What I don't understand is if it can self-correct in that situation. 
Why can't it self-correct by just eating? Yeah, yeah. Right? Now, I'm sure it has to do with the fact that, like, it's self-correcting because of the amount of physical activity, and it's just catching up later, right? But I'd like to know more detail. You know, it's just, that's just outside of my expertise. You know, I'm, I can manage it very well, and I know that it worked. I don't necessarily know why or how. So strong man. Talk to me about strong man. You and I have had countless conversations about this Yeah, man. and it's not something that a lot of people talk about, but I find it fascinating. You actually recommended this documentary to it, which I actually started watching this morning, which is kind of funny. What was the name of it again? The, the stone lifting one. Yeah. Full Sturker. It's a rogue documentary, rogue fitness. It's about, um, stone lifting and Iceland. Okay, and like just Icelandic athletes that have now crossed over into like CrossFit and strongman stuff, right? It, it, yeah, it it talks about the the history, both factual and legend. Um, it talks about just the the tradition of strength and athletics in that culture. Um, but it it really puts into perspective the conditions in which you were born in can greatly influence what you're physically capable of because what they explain in that documentary specifically is like, and and it's such a harsh environment that when it was first settled, the only people that stuck around were the physically strong, tough and tough minded people. The weak people either left or died because it was just that hard to survive. And so now, generations and generations later, if you're of like native bloodlines, you come from only the strong bloodline. Yeah. There's no one else left. And so when it comes to athletics, like they take that seriously. They're not trying to be good. They want to be the best ever. <laughs> so and it's really fascinating and inspiring. Yeah, I'm I'm I've only what am I, 20 minutes in or something like that? And I'm sucked in. And that's, again, that's not a subject, you know, you hear about CrossFit and you hear about workout gym stuff, but nobody nobody ever really looks into the strongman stuff, I feel like. What's your favorite part or aspect about those competitions that they do? Um, well, my favorite aspect is it's it, the simplicity of it. If you really just break it down to what it is, it's taking day-to-day activities to just the ultimate heavy extreme, right? In powerlifting, for example, and I totally respect powerlifting. I'm a fan of powerlifting as well. But at the end of the day, all that matters is your one rep max for your squat, bench, and deadlift, right? In strongman, it's more random task and oriented. For example grabbing a huge sandbag that's also soaking wet, carrying it through the water and loading it on a platform, strapping up and pulling a train, lifting some random heavy rocks and up to your shoulder for reps, lifting a log from the ground to your chest, pressing it overhead. These simulate things we actually do every day, just on a much more extreme level than any of the rest of us are ever going to actually experience. One of my favorite things that 
ever, you're talking about one of the documentaries. There was another one, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Born Strong on Netflix. Brian Shaw, four-time World's Strongest Man, was talking with his wife about like moving some random potted plants at their house, and she was like stressing about like these things are huge. How are we gonna move it? And he just turns to her and goes, "Babe, I'm the strongest man in the world. I'll just move it." <laughs> You know, like, it's like that kind of stuff, it's, they are, and I don't want to offend anybody, but they are the freaks of nature. They literally do what you can only imagine doing, right? At the end of the day, everyone always talks about, like, what's the best training program, what's the best diet program. Some people even get into the performance-enhancing drug conversation, a lot of those top-level strongmen, though, I don't care what program you're on. I don't care what diet you're on. I don't care what drugs you're taking. You're not going to be that big. Some people are just born to move weight. And you told me, <laughs> you told me one time, and I'll never forget this, there is a difference between bodybuilders mm -hmm. and that type of strength mm -hmm. versus these guys' strength. It's totally different. Um, one, the biggest bodybuilder in the world right now, Big Rami, right? Mm -hmm. He was around 300 pounds on stage for the Olympia this past year. A 300 pound strongman, pro strongman is tiny. <laughs> wow. Let's just put it that way. Right. Brian Shaw, six foot eight, 450 pounds. Half-Thor Bjornsson, he plays the mountain on Game of Thrones. He's won the World's Strongest Man, the Arnold Classic, Europe's Strongest Man, all in the same year. He's six foot nine, 430 pounds. It's just giant individuals. You can be a great bodybuilder with an amazing physique and move some decent weights. But at the end of the day, bodybuilding is not about moving weight. Mm -hmm. It's about stretching and squeezing the muscles to develop the physique to one's preference, depending on what uh, class they're competing in. If you have, for example, a 300-pound bodybuilder, Big Rami, he looks like he can lift your truck, right? You get Brian Shaw... He actually can lift your truck. That's the difference. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I always thought <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. They both, I mean, they both look huge, but it's totally it's, it's, it's totally a different, different. level. It, it's and and one's not better than the other. It's a different focus. Yeah. Right. Brian Shaw will never win Mr. Olympia. That's not the that's not the body type that the bodybuilding judges look for. Mm -hmm. Just like Phil Heath, eight-time Mr. Olympia, will never win World's Strongest Man. You're, he just doesn't have the frame big enough to do that. At the end of the day, mass moves mass. If you don't have the big enough body, it's not going to happen. One's not better than the other. I just have a preference because I find one more entertaining. Yeah. And at the end of the day, someone claiming to be the World's Strongest Man... It's, it's objective. Did he lift a bigger weight, and did he do it more reps? Yes. Okay, he's stronger. On bodybuilding, 
it can it's subjective it's the judges yeah it, it, you and i can disagree on who looked best on stage yep not to take anything away from that i just like a clear black and white yes or no that's all yeah. in some ways bodybuilding gives you more to discuss though yeah like after the after the strongman competition's over the conversation's kind of over like it no, like <laughs> yeah, that's it. That guy's the strongest guy. He lifted them all three. Right. Okay, you well, know, there's like, no debate. When Eddie Hall, <laughs> when Eddie Hall lifted a half a metric ton deadlift, one thousand one hundred and two pounds, there is no conversation to be had. He's the best deadlifter in human history. You can't argue it. How many years? <laughs> this stuff, this strongman stuff, has to just beat up your body. What's the average? like shelf life for these guys how many years can they compete like that uh i mean you say you're like in really your prime for like like 10 years and then that's it it really depends on the individual right okay so you for you have eddie hall for example right he won world's strongest man he has world record deadlifts he's one he will go down in history as one of the strongest people ever but Going back to if you don't have the frame for it and you don't have the body for it, it isn't going to happen. Well, Eddie was right on the border, right? He's about 6'3". Big dude for normal people. Mm-hmm. But when you're competing against Brian and Half Thor, you have to do things to your body to get big enough to compete with guys that are that freakishly big that... Eddie acknowledged from day one, this is not good for me. So he knew, I have to win this once and get out of here. He knew he wasn't going to be trying to compete for a legacy. Whereas you have people like Brian Shaw, Zadrunas Zaviskas, Hafthor Bjornsson. These guys are big enough to, in a much more healthy manner, sustain that body size so that they can actually look for a legacy of being the best to ever do it the strongest person to ever walk on this planet but unless you're naturally that freaking huge to have a big enough frame to healthily have that mass whether 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 attained naturally or not, just your your skeletal frame yeah. can only hold so much healthy. Mm-hmm. So those huge guys, they can have a much longer career, assuming they stay fairly injury free, of course. You know, anyone can it can all end in a day. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is strongman isn't for everybody. No, it's for it's for huge people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Brian Shaw had a had a Q and A on one of his YouTube videos recently, and someone was asking him like, and, and I, I don't want to like misquote anybody, but it was something along the lines of, "Is it worth pursuing strongman as a career?" Right, mm-hmm. and the gist of his response was, "It depends on how big you are." Right, if you're two hundred pounds. And your goal is to make a living at this, get a real job. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, the money's going to the biggest person in the world, lifting the biggest weights in the world. When you're less than half the size of your competitor, you aren't getting that check. Yeah. It's not going to happen, right? But is it worth pursuing for like personal fulfillment and fun? 
absolutely go for it. They have smaller weight classes for you to do competition okay. and have a great time and get stronger. But if you're trying to like make money and like that's your job, you have to be that guy. Got it. Like Got there's it. a handful of dudes that were able to like stop going to work and just do this. That's that's kind of just where the sport is right now. There's not enough money to trickle down anywhere else. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Like you can win enough money in a competition for like beer money for the month, maybe. <laughs> but really, when you think about your grocery bill just to prep for that competition, it's got to be crazy. All you're doing is making up some of that. Yeah. So that's no, that's interesting. I'm glad we I'm glad we touched on that subject because I know that's something you're passionate about, and I'm interested in learning more about it as we move forward. So I might have to have you back it, on yeah. to dive into a little bit more. But it's detail. just it's just fun to do. You know, I, I can't even touch anywhere near the weights that these these pros are touching right mm -hmm. but the style of training is very effective and very fun got it got it um as we kind of wrap up here back to the diabetes stuff mm -hmm. what are maybe just a couple pieces of advice so i have either type 1 or type 2 diabetes okay and I need to get this back under control. I want to get into the gym. I want to start working out. Okay. What are a couple things that you would recommend from your perspective on a way to get into the exercise program? What types of exercise, I guess? And then, yeah, anything anything else you want to offer up that they need to be aware of? One, before anything, just consult your doctor. Not that there's anything dangerous you're about to do. Not that there's anything to be worried about. You should just always be filling your doctor in with anything you're doing differently with your daily routine, right? This is a, it, they need to be informed of what's happening, right? I always told my doctor what supplements I was taking and all this so that when they did my A1C test, they also checked kidney function, they also checked liver function, make sure that everything was good, not just blood sugar, okay? So check with your doctor, tell them what's about to happen. Then I would recommend at least three to four days of full body lifting, right? That doesn't necessarily mean you're hitting every muscle group, every lift, right? You may, ha what I mean is by full body is some lower body, some upper body, and some core work three or four days a week, right? So for example, one day, maybe like deadlifts and overhead presses, some core work, and then a little bit of accessory stuff. Another day, maybe things like squats and pull-ups and core work and some accessory. Another day, maybe things like carries, bench presses, things like that. You know, And you're not necessarily doing the same muscles all the time, but you're hitting muscles throughout the whole body every time. Focus primarily on your heavy compound movements. Compound, you know, you've got compound or isolation as your exercise choices. Isolation means one joint, one muscle. Compound, multi-joint, multi-muscle. So your, your overhead presses, your bench presses, your rows, your pull-ups, your squats, your deadlifts, things of that nature. You're getting the body to work as a unit rather than one piece at a time. But also... More muscle recruitment equals more sugar consumption, more calorie burn, more fat burn. 
definitely still do cardio. Don't ignore cardio. It's great for your lungs. It's great for your heart. It's, great. it's got plenty of benefits. Just don't prioritize it when it comes to getting you the results you're looking for. It's something that you include, it's, it, but the bulk of your effort and time should be, be based around stimulating and breaking down muscle tissue. That repair process after the workout's over is what's going to start really helping you, whether it's the diabetes specifically or just general fitness goals. You know, I have another client who's in her mid-70s, doesn't have diabetes or anything, but all we focus on, other than a little bit of aerobic stuff for her, keep her feet quick, is strength training. And since we started working together, she doesn't take any, no longer takes any of her blood pressure medication, no cholesterol medication, no osteoporosis medication. She's in her mid-70s. Normally, people, when they start approaching that age, don't start taking less medicine. Yeah. Her doctor's... Are, are confused by it because she she's one of those people that does, acts like nothing's a big deal and so she's like well yeah go to the gym every week like, i don't know what you want me to say you know it's no big deal <laughs> but they're they're like no you don't understand how different you are compared to everyone else in your age bracket you're on paper 20 years younger <laughs> and i i just love how she uses resistance training as a means of getting what she wants at her age. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, I feel like just because you're over 60, some people walk through our doors here at the gym and they go, well, I just need to kind of just walk on the treadmill. Yeah. That's all I need to do. Yep, they set it on a little bit of an incline, yeah. nice and slow, and they just go for about 15, 20 minutes and they call it a day. And they think, well, I did my 20 minutes of exercise. When in fact, they could actually get much more out of a simple, light resistance training mm -hmm. routine and then you just slowly progress over time yeah heavy when i say heavy lifting heavy is relative you know yeah what, exactly what, a 50 pound kettlebell deadlift might be very heavy for someone i'm training and that's perfect it's not heavy for me but that's who cares yeah don't worry about what i'm doing what's heavy for you we're gonna do that and obviously you know the, the best way to get stronger is to not get hurt you know, <laughs> yeah. so well, again, this is like diabetes or not. These are rules that you just stick with. Right. Yeah. Proper weight selection and steady, slow progression over time is what's going to get us there. Taking too big of a jump. One, even if you don't get hurt, odds are you're not actually going to hit the numbers you're looking for. Yeah. But two, like your odds of injury, your, your chance of injury are like way higher. It's like. We all want to get there now. I get it. But at the end of the day, fitness in general, whether you be talking strength or getting faster in your mile time, it's a long game. If you're not working on it, it's getting worse. So don't have this mentality of like, I want to be done in three months. What do you say to the people that come through the doors and say, well, I'm just, I just want to maintain where I'm at. I say you just aren't willing to put in the work that you have already acknowledged is going to take to get where you actually want to be. There are so few people in life that are honestly totally content with where they are physically, business-wise, relationship-wise. Everyone 
wants to improve something, whether it's I want to be able to do a pull-up for the first time in my life, or I want to hit a new one rep max in my deadlift, or I just want to see abs, or I just don't want to be so tired. Whatever it may be, like you, you're, you came to the gym because there's something you're not happy with. If you were totally cool with it, you would probably still be at home enjoying your life. I just hate that when people say, I just, I just want to maintain. I don't really need to do anything special. I don't believe that when you say that, you are maintaining. I think Mm-mm. if you're not improving, you're actually going backwards. Is it possible to maintain? Yeah, of course. I just don't buy that that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, me either. You I'm know, the same way. Well, and simply because I'm, I'm a fairly blunt person when I'm talking with a client or a potential client. And I've called people out before. You know, one, one guy who's a uh, jujitsu practitioner, tr- helps train the military in hand-to-hand combat and disarming and all that. Awesome guy. And we talked about training for a while and strength training and how it helped him with his jujitsu and everything. But at the end of the day, and, and I, no hard feelings, he didn't want to do training simply because he looked at it as, I just don't want to work that hard. I'm already winning. I understand being stronger would make it easier, but I am winning. And I don't, uh, I don't want to come to the gym that much. So at the end of the day, like, hey, man, if, if you're good, you're good. But you know how few people are actually in that situation? Like, I get it. If you're already a champ and you're in the downturn of your career and you know, like, hey, man, I'm just having fun at this point. I don't want to put in that kind of work in order to just keep having fun even though I'm still winning. Mm-hmm. I can't hate on you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, like, that's that, that's 1%. You know? Exactly. Like exactly. most That's people, not the majority. most people, whatever they're working on, you haven't been winning for the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, the yeah. military is not flying you all over the country to teach them because you're that much of an expert. Mm-hmm. That's this one guy. There's one, there's one of him, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, unless, unless you're like that, it's like, I know there's something you want to make better. Like you said, even if it's more energy during the right. day. Yeah. Uh, or, uh, I don't sleep well. Well, I guarantee you, if you do a hard squat session with me, you're sleeping good tonight, dude. <laughs> you're gonna go night night. Like, th- <laughs> you know, like that's gonna happen. You know, oh, I don't have, I have no appetite. You know, I want to get, I want to like, put on some muscle, but I just don't have any appetite. Maybe you're doing the wrong things. I guarantee you, I can get you hungry. I notice that when I fall off the wagon, and we all do. I work in the fitness industry. You work in the fitness yeah. industry. I don't care who you are. You fall off the wagon sometimes. Everyone has a the, slump. The first thing that I notice when I really start to get disciplined again is I am hungry. Yeah. Like hungry. Yeah. The trick. The trick is just making sure you've satisfy that with the in right the correct things. Way. Yeah. Exactly. You know? So yeah. Like I, I'm really glad we talked about that because there's always something you can improve on. Um, well, hey, man, thanks for being on. Yeah. Um, we're. I'm probably going to have to have you back on later on down the road to get in some uh, more of this stuff in a little more detail, cool. especially like the powerlifting yeah. aspect of it. But well, I'd love um, to talk more. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Eco Gym, and a special thank you to a special thank you to everyone 
who has given us a listen again. I'm going to do something different today. If you guys are listening to this episode, screenshot that you are listening to this, tag One Health Podcast. So again, screenshot, tag One Health Podcast, and throw up a picture of that on Facebook. Give us a shout out. Throw up a a post on Instagram as well. Again, screenshot, tag us. Since it's close to Christmas... I'm in the giving mood, and I'm going to randomly pick a winner from whoever screenshots and tags us and shares this, uh, and we're going to do a $50 Amazon gift card. So make sure you share this with your friends and family. Hop on, listen, screenshot, tag us, and you will be entered in the drawing for a $50 Amazon gift card. I don't care where you live. I'll mail it to you. We'll get in touch with you. But go ahead and do that, just so we know you guys are listening. I'll add on to that, too. You said it's Christmas. If you're in the Glenview area, do that post. Bring it into Glenview Eco Gym. I'll give you a free workout. There we go. You heard it. It is Christmas. We are in the giving spirit. That's awesome, man. Cool. Thanks for doing that. Uh, Again, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, guys. 2018 has been an incredible year for this podcast. We have... Um, we've gained so many subscribers. I can't believe we're over a thousand subscribers already That's awesome. in just 18 weeks. Like that is absolutely yeah. fantastic. So let's continue to grow this thing. Continue. Please, please, please share this Spread the word. with your friends, your family, coworkers, whoever it is. We want to help people live a better, healthier life. And I think this is just the perfect outlet for it. So until next week, One Health Podcast signing off. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for